Welcome to Marrow Masters Season 9, sponsored by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and Sanofi. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant, from diagnosis through survivorship. Season 9 of our show focuses on what I wish I knew before transplant. Here's your host, Executive Director of the NBMT Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have Kate Arnold of Illinois with us, and Kate is going to share her story and offer up her best tips as they relate to the transplant journey. Her resilience and candor will resonate with many of you. She'll inspire you to take charge, take it easy, and not to take any flack from anyone. (laughs) Kate, welcome. Thank you, Peggy. I hope that it'll be helpful. So I'm Kate Arnold, and I live in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I had my matched unrelated donor transplant over 12 years ago. Uh, My donor came from Germany. I had my transplant because of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, small cleave cell follicular to be exact. My transplant came two years after diagnosis, and we just could not get me into remission. So because I was 37 at the time of diagnosis, and this type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is known to reoccur. So because of my age and because we just couldn't get it into that first remission, that's why I had the transplant. Okay. And knock on wood, I have been cancer-free since then. Oh, terrific. Yeah. It's um, my first goals, because I had young children, were to get them through high school, Mm -hmm. to graduate from high school. And when my eldest graduated high school, it was such a feeling of relief that I had one down and just one more to go. Uh (laughs) And so now they're both in college and hoping to uh, keep this going for a lot longer. I think that's going to (laughs) happen. So, Kate, let's talk about advocating for yourself, not only pre-transplant, but during and after. Yeah, that I found has been one of the most important skills I had to learn And we think before we find ourselves in a chronic illness or a major medical situation that, you know, our doctors know everything, our nurses know everything. But I realized pretty quickly first, they can't read my mind. Mm -hmm. But also, I had a lot of questions. And some of it, you know, was just very trivial. Some of it was important. But learning how to, you know, ask about my medications and what they were for and why a certain thing was done a certain way. And um, like, I will remember the, um, you know, you never forget your first bone marrow biopsy <laughs> and it's so painful. Oh. But then it's like, well, you know, asking my doctor, like, why don't you give any anesthesia? And learning, well, that's because it's such a quick procedure. Um, some places do though. So asking for something to help with that is a valid question. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually went to MD Anderson for my transplant and they offered me three different ways to deal with a bone marrow biopsy. Actually four, if you consider not having anything. So just always asking the question, if there's something you're just like, I'm curious about this, or this doesn't seem quite right. It's always worth asking the question. It's also always worth like staying on top of what medications you're on and why. 
Absolutely. And it sounds to me like what you're saying too is just listen to your gut. Yes. There's no wrong question. There's no stupid question. Mm -hmm. You know, I brought some stuff up and gotten some looks of like, well, that's kind of strange and that's kind of weird. I've never heard that before, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, there's also been plenty of times when I've gotten answers that have just made me so much more comfortable with the care I was receiving. We could probably come up with a number of, <laughs> of anecdotes. Oh, I'm sure you. We don't have time for <laughs> oh, All right, let's move on here. Let's talk about when you finally got home. Ugh. The expectations of friends, neighbors, family. Oh my gosh. At first, it felt so good to get home because like I said, I was down at MD Anderson. Uh, we have plenty of fantastic medical institutions here in Chicago but I went to MD Anderson that because that's actually where I just felt the most comfortable. And it felt so good to get home. I had been gone for five months. And during that time, after my transplant, I had lost 20 pounds. Mm. So there was a significant physical change uh-huh. in that regard. And I also found that after a few months... I looked very healthy, though I didn't feel very healthy. Mm. It takes a long time to heal. And I had people actually come up to me and say, wow, you look fantastic. And I, in the back of my head, was like, what were you expecting me to look like? (laughs) Now, that may not be true for everybody. Some people may be trying to hold back with the, oh, my God, you look awful. But it's interesting. And then it really did take, actually, for me, it took more than the first year to really kind of get my feet back under me because of complications that I had. And I was surprised by the number of people who were expecting it to just be over. Mm -hmm. You're home, you're healthy, let's move on. And that's okay. And still having to explain to them why I'm going to the doctor every week, why I'm having blood draws every week, why I'm following up on stuff every week. They kind of were not curious, but a little head scratching of like, well, why? But it's over. Why do you have to do that? And it's because actually that first year is, it's pretty important to stay on top of stuff. Mm -hmm. So let's talk some more about some other tips and tricks, because that's what this season is all about. Why don't we touch on things that make you happy, finding the humor? Oh, my gosh. That was, that was, I think, one of the things that actually also people were kind of a little like, oh, yeah, that's right. You do still have like a normal life in the middle of all this. (laughs) We were very open, my husband and I, about what was going on. And at the time, you know, this was 12 years ago. Uh, the best tool that we had was CaringBridge, and it still is a great tool. We have more social media tools and things like that to share the journey with others. But we had been extremely open with what was going on. And so when we wrote about things like, yeah, we, we went on a trip with our kids, or remember one time asking people for their favorite music because I was you know, dancing around in the kitchen with my daughters, and it made me feel so good asking people for what their favorite feel-good music was. And people were like, oh, yeah. At first, I was surprised that you were dancing around the kitchen with your kids. But of course you were. Mm-hmm. 
you have normal life and you have kids that you have to interact with and want to interact with, but it just feels good. And they also, as my therapist said, you provide a little vacation from what is going on. <laughs> it's heavy. It's hard. It's a long journey. Yeah. And finding things that give you joy, even if it's just little pieces throughout the day, really did give me a little vacation from everything that was going on. Wow. And how did your kids, they must have just loved that when there was glimmers of mom being mom again. I'm sure that was the best medicine for them to help them get through this. I hope so. Oh, for sure. I hope so. We tried to keep things as normal as possible. It's really difficult, though, when they come home from school this first year and having to say, okay, now you need to change your clothes and really make sure you wash your hands and really you to make sure they were as germ-free as possible from coming home from school. Yeah. And not being able to volunteer in their classroom and not being able to be around groups of their peers. So being able to find those things that we could do together was really important. Absolutely. Because we all know that those years just go so fast when they're those ages. They sure do. (laughs) We blink and they're grown up. Yeah, the days are long, but the years are short. And that is so true. I always say that. That is so true. I found that also. So let's talk about doctors, therapy. I, I know you've got some thoughts on all this, and I'm, I'm just excited to dig into this. Sure. My therapist was my lifeline. I probably would not have gotten through this without her. Mm. I found her through an organization near me called the Cancer Wellness Center, and she is a licensed psychologist with an oncology specialty. Oh, wow. So she really understood and worked with cancer survivors, patients, however you want to label yourself, all day long. Mm -hmm. And her thoughts and tips and things that she shared with me and the insights she led me to I still use today. Uh, I still have her on speed dial. Yes. I saw her weekly. She just really helped me get through everything, whether it was the medical or the fears or the emotions or parenting. She really did get me through everything. So I highly, highly recommend having a therapist. She was also a person that not only was she cheering me on, I could also share those deep, scary thoughts with her. I couldn't share them with my husband. He doesn't need that burden. Mm -hmm. I don't want to share them with my friends. And it was very helpful to have someone who could help me process those thoughts. Absolutely. A sounding board for you. Yes. And um, I also, as far as doctors have been very careful to work with doctors that I feel very comfortable with. I feel very lucky to have my choice of doctors, whether it was traveling to MD Anderson or we have four medical institutions in the Chicago area, at least, that do stem cell transplants. So, I have a plethora of resources that I can choose from, and I feel very lucky to be able to choose the medical practitioners who I feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. 
and I work closely with them. I am, you know, very well known. Let's say that. Um, and uh, you know, even with like my doctor's APNs, they're really who I talk with the most. And whenever I get a direct phone number to an APN, or amazingly, I've had some doctors give me their mobile phones. Oh, you better believe I saved that because you may need it. I remember one time I was, this was a long time ago, but I was in the emergency department for something. And the ED doctors were trying to get in touch with my oncologist at the time. This was at one of our community hospitals. And my husband called him on his mobile phone and was like, oh, I have him right here. (laughs) And the ED doctors were like, wait, what? How did you get him faster than we could get him? And my doctor was about ready to get on an airplane. So he was not going to answer a phone call from the hospital. Mm -hmm. But he sure as, you know, heck did answer my husband's phone call. Oh, that's good. So obviously used them sparingly, did not, you know, flood my doctors. That's a great tip. Yeah. If you get those phone numbers, save them forever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. What else do you have for us, Kate? Oh, gosh. I keep saying it's such a dark, heavy time and it can continue. So you finding those bits of joy, celebrating the milestones. Yay, I'm, you know, six months, I'm one year. Gosh, you know, I'm now down to seeing my doctors every three months instead of every month. Mm-hmm. Those kind of milestones, you know, at least deserve some sort of acknowledgement. My family calls my anniversary of my transplant my body birthday. I know a lot of people call it your rebirth or your second birthday. Uh, my kids coined it my body birthday. That's it. And in our household, we celebrate any birthday with cake for breakfast. Like, why wait until the end of the day to have your birthday cake? Good thinking. And I get a birthday cake for breakfast on my stem cell transplant anniversary. So you get two in one year. I do. <laughs> I do. That's great. Yep. And also... A practice that really pulled me out, not quite a year after transplant, I was in a severe clinical depression. Sometimes people feel like, oh my gosh, you should be so happy. I should be so happy. I'm still here. I've had this life-saving procedure. I've had, there's so much change and it is such a, it really is a traumatic experience. And yet there's still a lot to be grateful for. And a gratitude practice really helped pull me out. I made a point to wake up every morning and say, good morning, world. Today, I, you know, I woke up this morning and I am so grateful for that. Mm, I like that. So it could be just something as simple as that. Or gosh, you know, with the way the sun is setting or the sun is shining through the trees, those flowers are so beautiful. My child gave me a spontaneous hug today. Um, every little thing deserves gratitude. And it really does help you know, shift your mindset. And it really did, along with my therapist and some good medication, mind you. Um, <laughs> but it really did help me to get out of my depression. Oh, good. Good stuff. I love that. Okay. So, Kate, let's talk a little bit about the donor experience, because this comes up sometimes. What do you think about that? Finding out about your donor? Yeah. So, I had to wait two years to find out about my donor. Uh, some people only need to wait a year. Some people know them. They're a sibling. <laughs> um, you are very close to them. But 
Um, I had to wait two years and it was very exciting day when my transplant coordinator called me to tell me that my donor had agreed to release his name and his address to me. So that's all he gave. He did not give his phone number or his email or anything like that. So I was a little disappointed that I didn't get more information from him, but that's okay. You, It's his choice. Uh-huh. It did take me almost a year to write a thank you note to him. Okay. I really wanted to. It was very difficult for me to put into words the gratitude and the thankfulness I felt for him mm-hmm. in giving me his stem cells. It felt like, you know, I mean, truly, without it, I wouldn't be here. Mm. And that's a... That's a big thing. And when I finally did write that letter and send it off to Germany, I remember taking it to the post office and sending it off. And the clerk, I felt like, was just handling it with such blasé, I don't know. Cavalier. As if it was any other letter. And because to him it was. And then he's like, that'll be a dollar and 10 cents. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) No, no, no. You don't know what's in this letter. This letter is so important. It should cost at least $100 to send it. (laughs) Um, But unfortunately, I never heard back from my donor. And I don't know if he received my letter. Okay. And I would love to at least have a conversation with him Mm -hmm. and tell him, at least over the phone, what he's given me. He's given me 12 years. I've seen both of my daughters graduate from high school and watch them come into being wonderful young women. And I also respect the fact that he doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so, you know, that's just the way that that is. Yeah. Um, I just hope that somewhere, somehow he knows. Yes. Can I ask you why for you it was two years versus one year? It was just the rules. I think it was the international rules. Oh, okay. Because this just came up on a coffee clutch yesterday, and uh, several of the participants were asking if it was one or two years. And interestingly, some people thought it was one year. Some people thought it was two years. We weren't sure. It depends upon where the donor is coming from. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. All right. So let's talk more about people because you you are something. (laughs) <laughs> Let's talk about the well-intended, how to bypass a question you don't want to answer, how to steer people away from stories they want to share that maybe you don't want to hear. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> when someone's like, oh, my gosh, you know, my cousin's friend went through that and they died. Uh-oh. Oh, OK, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually know what you're talking about. And I think most people listening know those awkward people that just need to be quiet. Yeah, they're trying to be helpful. It's coming from a good place. Sure. And you, I think the, you know, in the best case scenario for that one, the best way to respond is to, okay, thank you, and change the subject. <laughs> that is a great way to do it. There's nowhere to go from that. True. Well, that's good to know for when that happens next to somebody I know and love. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and the other thing is, you know, people can be really nosy. They may think it's well-intentioned, 
but they get very curious and they just want to know. Mm -hmm. And they may want to know some details that you aren't comfortable sharing. As I said earlier, my husband and I, we were open books. We were very comfortable sharing. But I do know other people who've been through a similar situation as I have who haven't said a word to anybody outside of their immediate family. And that's okay too. It's up to you how you want to share and what you want to share. Mm -hmm. So when people start asking and you get that, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well, thanks. And you try to move on. They're like, no, how are you? Yeah. And you just kind of say, I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. And move on. Because if you don't want to share it, it's none of their business. Mm -hmm. And again, sometimes you just need to change the subject. Ask them about themselves. Yes, that's a good way. That is a great way to do it. <laughs> so the other thing that I was flooded with, I would get emails from people that'd be like, oh, again, my cousin's friend or my friend of a friend of a friend had this remedy and you should really try this. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Some of it I would ask my doctor about. It's like, it seemed plausible. Like, okay. And at the time, my doctor would most often say, while you are in active treatment, don't use any supplements, don't do anything crazy, because we don't know how it interacts with your treatment. After you're done with treatment and you want to try something like that, go for it. Mm -hmm. I have worked very closely also with an integrative medicine doctor. She is Western trained as well as trained in other remedies and supplements. And she's very, very conscientious about making sure the things that I use, the supplements, the practices that she has suggested to me, do not interact with my current medications. Okay. She's very conscientious of that. She's extremely knowledgeable and has been very helpful. Again, I feel very lucky to have that resource. Good to know. But that is something to you. If you want to try something, bring it up with your doctor. Talk to them about it mm -hmm. because they may have opinions. They may not. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kate, you're a mom of two. Let's talk about parenting while you were fighting cancer. You had your hands full. What do you think about that? Yeah, they were five and seven when I was diagnosed. And they're now 22 and 20, which just seems unbelievable. <laughs> My youngest, though, does not have any memories of me being healthy. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's painful. Sure. And I'm still here, though. I've still been able to steer her through her teen years and starting college. So we're all very grateful for that. Yeah. And, you know, I, the one thing I really, really wish that I had been, there's two things actually, that I really wish I had been cognizant of as a parent of younger children. And it probably applies to older children as well, you know, a child in your home. First, I wish I had gotten them their own therapists yeah. before they showed the signs that they needed it. Um, they really, especially my youngest, really, really, it is a traumatic experience for the whole family. Absolutely. And my youngest was too young to really process it. And at one point, I'd been home for probably a year. She was, I think, nine at this time. And she was having 
these horrendous 45-minute long, not really temper tantrums, but just all these emotions bubbling up. And I'd be laying on the floor with her trying to give her support and trying to you know, soothe her for 45 minutes. And then at one point she said, you know, mom, and she just off the hand, uh, you know, like kids do, I feel like I have all these jars inside of me mm. and the lids are just flying off. Huh. That made me think I need to get her into therapy. And it was difficult to find the right therapy for her. The Cancer Wellness Center that I relied on so much did not have any children-centered programs. They do now. Mm -hmm. Regular therapists, if they want to call them regular therapists, were helpful, but didn't quite understand all the dynamics of a cancer diagnosis in the family, um, but they were helpful. And I just wish I had gotten both of my children support from the beginning so they could process those feelings before all the lids started flying off of those jars. Mm. Wow. The other thing I wish that actually, it to be extremely vulnerable right now, breaks my heart right now still, is I wish that my husband and I and our immediate family had had more compassion for them while I was going through treatment. We weren't without compassion, but we didn't fully understand how much their behavior, their bad behavior, was probably rooted in what was happening to our family. And that's not to say that when a child acts out, especially when there's trauma in the family, that that behavior shouldn't be corrected. I wish we hadn't come down on them so hard. I wish we had corrected the behavior, but in such a way to say, hey, is this coming because you're hurting or because you're scared? Do you, you have a handle on that? And maybe they're, they were too young to be able to answer that. <laughs> but to at least be like, hey, I, I know you're struggling. We all are. I think would have gone a long way towards easing their way through this journey. Well, and I think, Kate, how you're helping people right now with this incredible, vulnerable thought, you are helping other people. I hope so. For sure. And uh, we appreciate that. That's, that's a tough thing to admit and to talk about. And I'm sure you did a really great job. I just know that. But still, I, I really respect what you're saying. <sighs> and thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I think some of it was, I, you know, I was just so deep in my own emotions, too, mm. that, you know, really coaching surrounding family and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles that stepped in to help with our children. I kind of wish we had coached them, too, because unfortunately, while we were in Houston, they got the brunt of that kind of behavior. So, uh, so Kate, let's talk about protocols and doctors and how it's different for everyone. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I think that's the other thing is realizing that we are all individuals and we respond to treatment differently. You know, our bodies and our their individual ways, as well as different institutions have different rules and different protocols. I have found some people will say, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. 
Um, for a long time, I was allowed to, you know, within moderation, have some alcohol. I do enjoy a glass of wine or a good scotch occasionally. Mm-hmm. And my doctors didn't have a problem with that. And other people have said, oh, I've been told no alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, that could very well be either you, that institution has that rule or that for you specifically, the way your body is metabolizing and processing everything, it may not be a good idea. And I find that just buying into whatever your doctors say, if someone has something different, that may be for them. But if your doctors tell you something, then follow it. That's what they're telling you to do for either individual or their own reason. And it's important that you fully buy into what their protocols are. Question them. Sure. But if you're going to work with a doctor, make sure that you either, if you disagree with something, you discuss it and find out why, or you just buy into it. When I wanted to do this season, you just reminded me of something so important. I had run this by a, a very wonderful doctor out in Seattle and her advice to me was to be a little bit careful because of exactly what you just said. Everybody at every center could be given different advice. And we, we really want to stress that with these podcasts. You know, we're asking you what your experience was. Mm-hmm. But of course, people should always, always listen to their doctor, question them, like you said. But we're not here to try to change the protocol for anyone. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, Kate. Thank you. Yeah, because it can invite a lot of confusion mm-hmm. or you haven't forbid put someone in a very dangerous position. Absolutely. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. As we start to wrap things up, let's talk about resources and support. What did you find to be most helpful? Taking advantage of everything that our cancer community offered in terms of support. So for me, it was the Cancer Wellness Center. I know a lot of communities have their local version. Uh, It's not always called the Cancer Wellness Center. It has come under different names, but your social worker at your institution should be able to tell you. Um, One that is national is Gilda's Club. And these are great because they are in person. You can meet with support groups if that's your thing, which I highly recommend. And you can find therapists and social workers that are very familiar with the cancer journey or a transplant journey, because I know that transplant isn't just all for cancer patients. That has been very helpful. Uh, Of course, organizations like yours, Peggy. um, Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, You offer ways to find support as well as offering support. Uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, Be the Match, They all offer different ways to either find or get support. And then I had mentioned earlier social media. I belong to several different Facebook groups. So I belong to one of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Links group. I belong to just a straight bone marrow transplant group and a graft-versus-host group because I do suffer from chronic graft-versus-host disease. And I find that people are extremely supportive that I have never seen any nasty comments or things like that. You know, they're all 
have moderators that do screen the posts, which is always good. And they've been a great place to either offer up my experience or for me to answer questions or to ask my own questions because I no longer go to a support group. Okay. Yeah. And also some other other resources. Yeah, go support. Immerman's Angels and the Leukemia Lymphoma Society has a peer connect. And I use both of those resources pre-transplant really helped me feel more comfortable with what I was going to be facing. And now I, in turn, am a peer mentor with all the different organizations so I can pay it forward. Terrific. Well, you're paying it forward with us today. Uh, You're mentoring more people than you could ever imagine. (laughs) I, I just thank you for the opportunity to share and really am honored that you wanted to speak with me. Oh, I I would speak with you all the time. I just find (laughs) so real and inspirational and just a pleasure. But thank you so much, Kate. Thank you very much. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from the information in our show, please share this episode with them. And don't miss future episodes of our show. Follow Marrow Masters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. And to connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes.